Hello, welcome to Conversations on Compassion brought to you by the University of Arizona College of Social and Behavioral Sciences Center for Compassion Studies. This is Leslie Langbert. I am talking today with one of the University of Arizona's former students who actually um, has created a really fantastic healing career. I'm talking today with Tiffany Cruikshank. She is an internationally celebrated yoga teacher and acupuncturist. You may have seen her on the cover of Yoga Journal once or twice or a few times or read some articles where she has broken down a lot of the intricacies of the anatomy of yoga. It's always super exciting for us to talk with people who are out in the world shaping healthcare, shaping compassion, and it was really exciting for us to talk with a former wildcat and to virtually welcome her back to the U of A and talk with her about what she's up to. So join me for this conversation and enjoy. So welcome, Tiffany. Thank you so much for coming to have this conversation with us. Um, we're so excited to talk with you about your practice and your work and um, Welcome back in a virtual way back to the University of Arizona. Um, we know that that you were a student here, and um, I'd love to just kind of dive in by asking you um, about the beginnings of your own yoga practice. I know you've been practicing for most of your life and um, had this practice while you were a college student. So maybe a little bit about how you got started and what you remember about how your yoga and meditation practices supported you yeah, when you were in college. Um, you know, I, I started when I was 14 and, and um, you know, I think for me being really athletic growing up, the, the physicality of it was really intriguing, but you know, there was always obviously something different than, than playing sports or athletics and, you know, that wasn't competitive. I think, I played really competitive tennis and I think, you know, being able to go in and, and be active and, and, and physical without putting that pressure on myself. I think, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and, in um, competitive athletics, it was, it was really welcoming to be in my body. And, um, you know, at the time I was going to classes that were, uh, they were stronger classes that weren't led. So I, you know, you show up, you hear people breathing and moving and they're kind of moving at their own pace. There was like, really interesting really cool aspect to being able to show up and, and feel like we were all together even though we were all doing very different things um so I think the physicality was a really interesting part of it for me and I, I don't really know that I knew uh, and that I ever sat down to think about what what intrigued me about it but I think obviously there were the deeper layers that, that kind of kept me coming back for more because um, clearly there's plenty of ways to be physical <laughs> um but I, I graduated early and I went up to college at 16 and um, there weren't any yoga teachers. So I, I decided that, you know, it was, it was my duty to become a yoga teacher. And, and I, I kind of enjoyed sharing with family and, and friends before. And so I thought it would be a, a fun thing to do. And, um, you know, I, I not only practiced but taught, you know, all through college. And it was, it was really interesting for me as a college student not only to be able to show up and and guide people through this practice who are much older than me, um, which was which was a tricky scenario as a teenager to, to kind of step into, but um, but also to have those tools as a college student, you know, with, with stress and deadlines and all these new obstacles from, you know, living with your parents to now being on your own and figuring things out. Um, I think yoga was a really important influential factor within that. In fact, I remember, so I, I did my undergrad um, and then I went on to Chinese medicine, you know, four years of Chinese medicine school. And um, I remember one of my colleagues in Chinese medicine school saying to me, um, you know, I, I, that I, I did really well on all the tests because, well, of course you do, because, because she does yoga every day. 
I thought to myself, what a funny thing to say. I mean, this was in, you know, like 2001 or something, 2000. And um, and I remember thinking, you know, yoga was still fairly new then, but people knew enough about it. Like, if you know that, why aren't you doing it? <laughs> but it definitely helped exactly. me through. I mean, having a regular practice was such a, such a great resource for me, not only to keep me mentally sharp, but to, to help with the stress as a nice um, a nice way of, of taking care of my self-care you know taking care of myself and um, and then being able to extend that to other people which was really interesting for me I think you know because ever since I started both teaching yoga as well as practicing working with with uh, more holistic therapies I think I was always really intrigued with this ability to help other people in some way so clearly that evolved many times over but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's been so um amazing to to see your career path unfold and i mean just incredible that um from starting yoga at such a young age and seeing how that you know you've you've carved out this path into chinese medicine and um bringing kind of the the best of of western and eastern uh, medicine together was your practice part of in college was that sort of part of what ignited um the realization for you that this was what you wanted to do for your work i think the practice it was a way in, in some ways of me of the, developing a, a routine and this sense of diligence and de determination as well not determination maybe dedication i guess um and, and a mental resource, but I think it also was a, a testament to, you know, we all have ups and downs in our lives, but also a testament to being able to use some of these practices to help, you know, whether it's physical ailments or mental focus or, you know, um, being able to calm myself and exams or, um, you know, I think there's, there's many different challenges you face in, in academic settings and pressures. And um, I think, you know, the yoga practice definitely helped me with that and, and definitely this is an adjunct, a nice support for that. Awesome. And so then after um, after graduating and then getting your master's in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, um, you had a wonderful um, career unfolding at Nike, yeah, correct? Yeah, so I, I actually had a, a practice in Portland um, and, and then actually saw patients in New York as well and then came back to Portland um, for the gig at Nike and um, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. I, I had, had some experience in running my own clinic in Portland and then I, I got a chance to work with this really incredible doctor in, in New York. Um, Frank Lippman, who's written a bunch of books, and he's an MD who does acupuncture, and um, got to learn so much from him and from some other doctors there that was such a great experience for me to, to be there and learn firsthand from such really incredible, incredible people. Um, and then to have the opportunity to go and take all of that to Nike, um, and gosh, that was definitely, I was, I was just talking about this to my partner last night, like it was such a... It was definitely a career-changing moment for me to be able to go back and, and also take what I love as, as being athletic and, and, and kind of fuse it with um, my specialty. So when I went through Chinese medicine afterwards, I did a, a specialty in, in sports medicine and orthopedics. So, I mean, that's always been really fascinating to me, how the body moves and how it works. So, you know, obviously there's a huge mental component behind that as well, um, you know, the beauty of the yoga practice is that it's three-dimensional. It's not just the physical body, you know, that you work with. Um, but, yeah, going up, being able to go and bring that back and work with athletes and work at the Nike headquarters there with a resource of people. I, I started their acupuncture program there and, um, and ran that for six or seven years and taught yoga for athletes there. And, gosh, I mean, I learned a lot and evolved a lot as a practitioner, as a teacher, and um, really enjoyed it being there in that sense of community too and, and sometimes miss it a little it was nice to kind of be in that in that community but I you know had other progressions and along the way that, that changed too so it was good 
Yeah, I want to, and I definitely want to jump into that. Um, you know, you're talking about all of this deep uh, training, you know, that you got and how that helped you to evolve and, um, and, and perhaps hone the way that you teach. It's, that's one of the things I really appreciate about your teaching is um, it comes through so clearly just the, the depth of your um, knowledge and precision around the human body. Um, it's, I think, unusual um, for the yoga community. And, it's, and having, having practiced with you in that way, I've, it's been really powerful for me in terms of the, the strength that I've been able to develop and the way that I've been able to kind of, I guess, kind of hone in and refine a little more. And I'm not, I'm not a woman that grew up in a athletic way. I mean, I, I did gymnastics a little bit when I was a little kid, <laughs> but that was it. And I came to yoga in my thirties and I just, uh, I'm amazed at, you know, how, um, how powerful the practice still can be in terms of um, strengthening and and I think, shaping um, my yeah, not only physical that, but that, mental that physical fit, fitness too. Is such a huge entry point to everything else, you know. And most of us, everyone can relate to their physical body. You know, it's a little harder, especially at first, to relate to emotional or mental or spiritual concepts and. Um, you know, I kind of see it like a big, a big gymnasium, you know, like you kind of enter into this realm of yoga and then some of us come in for the physical, some of us come in for the spiritual, some of us come in for the mental effects. Now I, I, I think more so than ever people coming in for the mental effects, um, the mind effects and, um, you know, we're all, we're all talking about similar things. It's all addressing similar things. You know, I think there's, there's some, uh, in the yoga world, some kind of like negativity around the practices being like really just physical. And in my experience, it's never really just physical. Even if, even if you go to a, a, a purely physical practice, if you stay around long enough, you feel something, you know, you can, that was my experience. You know what I mentioned when I first started, like there's something more, um, whether you can put your finger on it. I, I personally grew up in a very conservative family, you know, the very Christian, um, and, and for me, yoga was always, I, I was definitely not as skeptical as my parents. My parents always thought I had joined a cult. <laughs> this was back in the 90s, so in the early and <laughs> mid-90s. And, and, uh, and so they were always, like, really afraid. And, and I, I, I think growing up in that, in that tradition, I'm, I'm always skeptical myself of, of, of not necessarily in my own personal practice as much as um, really wanting to keep everything open to every every vantage point so that everyone can enjoy the practice, that there's there's no restraints on beliefs or um, spiritual practices, but that you can come into this practice and connect to something that's really, really alive for you in that moment, in that day. And, um, you know, the physical practices really allow us to, to all connect to that. Now, I don't mean to say that, the, you know, there's not a place for the spiritual practices, I think. There's obviously a really important benefit to that as well, um, but I think you know they're all they're all really talking about the same thing. They're all working on a very similar thing, though our goals might be different. <laughs> I remember when I first <laughs> did my first yoga teacher training when I was 16, and um, you know back then there were maybe two trainings in the country, and you know there wasn't any internet, so I remember getting these brochures, and you know one of them was during the summer, so that was the one I could do. So I went to this, this month-long thing, and I didn't really even know much about it. Um, and it was very much a spiritual, spiritually-oriented practice, which you know, was really great for me to learn the philosophy behind some of the traditional practices, and I think it was a really great place to start. Um, but there was this pressure to be like, you know, the spiritual guru, and, you know, that the whole purpose of the practice was to become enlightened, which I, I still can't even completely wrap my head around, this idea of, of being enlightened, you know, um, obviously there's someone who can speak to that more than I can <laughs> and someone, um, who could, who could teach that more than I could. And, and 
clearly there's something there that people have experienced on some level. Um, but, you know, it always felt so far away, so difficult to grasp. And, you know, I think back in the 70s, 70s 80s, 90s, you know, that was a big part of the yoga practice. And, and now, you know, it's evolving. And, and there's some controversy of whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I think everything that brings us back to ourselves, that keeps reminding us of who we are, whether that's our hamstrings or our liver or our mind or our, our spiritual practice, I think is is an important connector for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've taken this and created yoga medicine, which just from what I've seen on your website looks amazing. So I want you to share, this is your baby that you've, that you started right a couple of years ago. Um, Let's talk about this, but I also want to know um, what was kind of the the impetus for you to like take that uh, to take that leap to like create this um, to create this basically this is this big uh, thriving um, business yeah, in, in I, this I way. I, I I get that question a lot, and I. I don't know that it was ever my intention to set out for this. You know, I think uh, like everyone, you know, our, our, our pens evolve. I mean, I, I have a lot of teachers who come in and are like, gosh, I wish I had found yoga when I did, when, when you did. But we, we also gather so many life experiences from whatever, whatever it is we do, whether we find that at 14 or 25 or 50, you know, we, we have so many life experiences to take with us that are really valuable and important. And it definitely wasn't my purpose. I didn't, I didn't have yoga medicine in mind when I started teaching yoga. I, in fact, I remember when I went through Chinese medicine school, I was I was taking at one point 13 classes in one quarter, and on top of it, I was teaching maybe 10 classes a week. <laughs> I was teaching a, a lot and, and studying a ton, and um, I'm, I'm not really sure how I did it as I look back on it, but um, I remember my mom saying to me, <laughs> why are you still teaching? Why are you teaching so much? Like you need to focus on your studies. And I don't understand why you're teaching so much when you're just going to quit teaching when you get a real job. <laughs> it was really funny to look back on now that, you know, mm. I went through a good, you know, dozen years of my life really treating 50 to 60 patients a week. And and now in a, in a good chunk of, of years now where I've, I, I, I still see patients, but very, very few and really focus mostly on teaching yoga, which is kind of crazy to think of after her comments. And, and, you know, that was the, that was really the world perspective. And I remember when I first started teaching yoga, the idea was, you know, you, when you commit to teaching yoga, you, you've basically given up your attachments to money, to fame, to, to any of those things, to be this humble yoga teacher who, who serves their community, which has evolved, you know, no judgment, um, obviously. And, and I think, I think it's really great to see that yoga is not going anywhere. I think, you know, the fads of yoga are, are what they are and they'll kind of ebb and flow. But, um, I, I never would have guessed that yoga would be where it is, um, now <laughs> so many years ago, if you told me, and even, um, even more so, I think meditation, um, uh, gosh, if you told me meditation would be the trend, uh, in the 90s, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> and it's so cool to see so much research and so much yep. uh, momentum behind it, people using it, people, you know, I, I work with professional athletes and celebrities and all sorts of people. And, and you know, the, even, you know, the general consensus in corporations or with athletes or whoever, you know, there's a general consensus or general awareness and in a lot of populations that meditation is, very beneficial, you know, for whatever reason. Obviously, there's there's a lot of different preconceived notions or or ideas around that, uh, why and how of that. And um, but yeah, it, it definitely evolved. I was I was seeing patients. So when I first graduated and I started seeing patients, I was teaching a lot of yoga, and a lot of my patients were yoga students, not necessarily just of mine, but of other teachers who were sending them to me. One of one of the beautiful things of the practice that maybe you've experienced as well is. Um, it uncovers things like you could sit at your desk and have injuries for many years and never be physical and, and being being physical. I think that does um, somewhat as well, but, but yoga really tests your body in many different ways. And so it's hard to have, you know, nagging injuries persist and not do something about them. 
you know, it's really, there's a lifestyle component to it, which is really beautiful. We become more proactive in our healthcare and, and our wellness, which to me is really wonderful as a healthcare provider because you have patients who are really compliant and proactive and, and really excited to be involved in their health and wellness. And, and, and just like a professional athlete as well, it's like really can feel the effects and, and notice, you know, the difference in, in how they feel, whether that's in yoga or work or with their family or um, just in their body. And so, you know, I started seeing patients, and, and I, I right away I started noticing that my patients who were yoga students, they not only did they get better faster, uh, not only were they compliant, but they also got better faster. They seemed to respond. Their healing capacities seemed to be, you know, much higher, more resilient than the, the people. The, and obviously this is a generality than, than my patients who were not yoga students. Um, and so I started giving yoga poses, you know, what I called yoga prescriptions to my, my patients who were not yoga students. And that was just, you know, one or two poses. Maybe it was breathing, maybe it was meditation, just really simple stuff that seemed, you know, that was relevant to whatever they were coming in for. Um, as more of a way to have con continuing care. You know, for me, it was never about making my patients dependent on me, but really about getting them to take care of themselves and, and, and take their health and wellness into their hands, um, which is really why why I wrote my books too, to be, a, to be a resource of information for people to be able to be proactive in their health. Um, but, but as I was working with patients and, and using yoga more, I, I found that as I connected um, uh, with other healthcare providers, which gosh, to me as a, as a healthcare provider is, is such a, as an acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioners, so nice to have a resource of, of other providers that you work with. And as I connected more with them, um, Noticing that, that there was a desire for them to be able to send their, their patients to do yoga. Like there was an interest and intrigue and um, clearly that's, you know, that's coming along faster or slower in different parts of the country or the world and, and every person is different. But especially now as we see this younger generation of doctors coming out of medical school who have done yoga or, or even the older generation of doctors who, who are starting to do yoga or maybe have done it for a while. Um, as they experience it, you know, they want to translate that to their patients. And, you know, I think our, our healthcare systems are so overburdened right now. Um, I mean, gosh, we could talk the rest, we could talk about pain for a long time, and, and that can be a really interesting topic. But, um, you know, just with pain itself, but with so many things, diabetes and heart disease and, and so many things that um, can be really helped not just by exercise, I think the exercise component is a big thing, but the, the mindfulness and the lifestyle components that are inspired through that mindfulness, um, having patients who actually want to feel better, who start to notice first just how bad they feel, um, you know, our bodies get really good at tuning that out, and um, for me, yoga is like the foundation for all of your medical care to some extent. Because if I have a patient who comes in who, you know, if, if you're a doctor and you have a patient who comes in who can't give you any feedback on how they're feeling and you're giving them medications, like, uh, it becomes a little trickier to help, you know, moderate their care and and, um, and, and difficult to, it, it becomes a lot more weight on your shoulders when you become the, the primary caregiver, which is kind of how our medical uh, system is set up, is like you go in, you get your pill, you leave, and all the weight is on the doctor's shoulders to heal you. And that's a lot to carry around. It's exhausting. Our medical providers are overworked. They're, I mean, they're well paid, but for the amount of time that they put in, the amount of debt that they have, and comparatively to other professions where people make millions of dollars, you know, in, in, in some, you know, professions and businesses, right. you know, they are somewhat underpaid for, I think, depending on who we're talking about, for all of the, the time that they put in and how overworked they are and, and all the debt. Oh, gosh, don't even get into the the school loans now and the debt, but um, so I think there's a there's a desire for healthcare providers to be able to 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 want to be able to help people. You know, I think this over prescribing of medications it, it comes from a good place. You know, I think there's a valuable place for medication to be prescribed, and and doctors doctors ultimately want to help people. They go into the profession to help people, and um, so, you know, for me, it was kind of watching this and seeing, like, okay, we have this negative view of, of prescriptions and, and um, you know, some of the, the difficulties within our healthcare system, but ultimately it comes from a good place, and how do I bridge that gap? And, you know, for me, yoga is such a, 
an important connector not only for the, for the mindfulness and the lifestyle effects, the, the physical practices, the mental practices, and um, knowing that doctors wanted it. For me, it was just having a resource. And anyone who's familiar with, with yoga even a little bit knows that, you know, there's such a huge variety within the yoga practice. You know, if you're a medical doctor and you're referring someone to go to yoga, they could be jumping around doing handstands. They could be sitting on the floor chanting. They could be doing yin yoga and, you know, deeply stretching and, or, or, or gently stretching. I mean, every teacher, even within one style, has a different take. Um, and so it's really difficult to be able to say, okay, you've got this shoulder injury or you've got, you know, diabetes or you've got this. And, and to just send them to, to do yoga is, I think, somewhat negligent. <laughs> um, so what we wanted to do, our whole purpose to, to the, the, the original question um, was to try and create a bridge for doctors to be able to um, refer their patients to that was really based on transparency. So our whole model is based on, you know, you can go on our site, you can see the teacher, you can see exactly what what um, trainings they've completed with us, have they done the shoulder, have they studied more on the nervous system, have they studied more on meditation, um, you know, we've got tons of different trainings um, that they could take, and, and really being able to train teachers more in both the Eastern and Western concepts. I think, obviously, there's so much to the traditional practices of yoga, um, but how we kind of tie that in with the Western medical orientation is I think really important to both to make sense of, of, of what they've been told as well as to um, be integrative to, to the, the treatment that they're getting. Uh, it never serves anyone, I think, to have confusion within some of those modalities or things that feel separate or different or in opposition to each other. Uh, so, you know, really our purpose is to, to serve the medical providers, to serve the medical world, the, uh, to take some burden off their shoulders to be able to help uh, the patients, and, and not to diagnose, we're, we're really clear about, you know, our, our job as yoga teachers is, is, is not to, to take their health care in our own hands, is not to diagnose, is really to be a guide of this introspective awareness in their body and, and to do the best we can to help them um, unlock their innate healing capacity to some extent. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, I mean, you're, really pioneering i think this uh taking what's been considered i guess complementary um medicine and really taking it to the next level um what are what are you and the the yoga teachers um that you're taking through yoga medicine like are there kind of common uh, medical conditions that they're coming back and saying, wow, we're really seeing really positive success in partnering with um, allopathic physicians around these well, particular I mean, issues with pain patients. Pain is always the biggest one. I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing you see in medical care. And, and now mm -hmm. there's so much spotlight on it too. Um, you know, what I love about using yoga for pain in particular is that it's not just the physical practices. Clearly there's a huge place or physical therapy that yoga can't replace, you know, that's essential and, and crucial. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot more to it, especially on a long-term basis. You know, a lot of people graduate from their PT and, and you know, still might have some, some experience of pain or functional limitations. And, you know, that might be because they, they ran out of appointments due to insurance or who knows what. Um, but it's also then rebuilding those pathways to help, um, change how they interact with the world post-deficit, post-pain, um, and and to kind of improve the way they interrelate. There, there's so much on the yoga side. Um, I think the more I study, the more I realize how really brilliant the, the simplicity of the yoga practices are. But looking at, you know, the mental practices, I think the more, the more I study anatomy and, and science and uh, the nervous system, the more I realize how how much of it comes back to really our experience in the world around us. I went to a, a seminar this past weekend on neuroimmunology and neurodynamics and, you know, this awareness both of peripheral nerve uh, dysfunction or, or mechanical pain or, or injuries to the tissues. But, you know, a lot of it does come back to the central processing. And the reality is that pain happens in our brain. 
<laughs> we, we all know this. You know, you study basic anatomy courses, you know pain actually happens in the brain. It doesn't happen in the tissues. We don't have pain receptors per se. We have nociceptors that really um, perceive extreme changes that could be a threat to the system. And so our ability to work with pain in a yoga context is, is brilliant because it's all about this introspection. It's about, it's based on body awareness. It's based on kind of watching how the body moves and re- interrelates with the world around us, which isn't necessarily rocket science. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything overly, <laughs> overly planned or overly thought out as much as changing how the human, this, you know, our human experience, you know, interrelates with the world around us. And, you know, simple things like breathing and, and uh, mm-hmm. mindfulness are, are kind of the foundation of that, being able to just pay attention to it and, and notice, oh, wow, that is really interesting. When I do that, this happens, but it's not necessarily that pain. I can do it and change these responses in my brain and actually have a completely different outcome. Or I can do these exercises that are maybe a little bit more safe or less threatening to me and, and maybe visualize doing them in, in a different scenario and slowly start to re-educate those, those neural connections so that, you know, at some point I can start to move in, in through those, those less safe or more threatening scenarios in a comfortable way. Uh, so, I mean, there's definitely a, I think there's a lot of information coming into pain science, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot of intricacies and information that we could kind of look down there, but the beauty of the yoga practice is that I, we don't necessarily need to go through all of that. It's it's really interesting now too when we find um, uh, you know new science scientific research that comes out that validates things that maybe we've been doing for a while. I think I, I posted and I don't know that this really completely validates it, but there was um, uh, there's some research I posted recently about uh, you know the existence of, of lymphatic vessels in the brain, which you know, in medical school, and, and maybe that's changing now, but, um, you know, you're taught that, that there is no lymphatic system in the brain. And um, and so kind of looking at how this interrelates with, you know, things that we've done in the yoga practice in Ayurveda, they talk about there being lymphatic, doing lymphatic drainage for the brain, which, you know, obviously was not really agreed upon in a Western context until now. Um but, you know, we see things like uh, inversions and, uh, you know, change, which change pressure in the, in the lymphatic system, which is a big part of that, that, that drainage in the lymphatic system, you know, being really helpful for a lot of different brain issues. And obviously that's a, a lot longer story for specific brain, brain problems. And I think a lot more research that needs to happen to really actually validate these things. But um, it's interesting to see when, when new research comes out that, oh, wow, maybe that's why we actually feel these effects from the yoga practice. Maybe this is what's happening. And, you know, it's cool to have that scientific backup, but, you know, the reality is that these are practices that have been done for thousands of years. And, gosh, we learn so much just from our experience that sometimes as a patient we can invalidate our experience. I have patients come in all the time who are so caught up in their diagnosis or this thing, and and part of the treatment is just unraveling that identification with, with, problem with the disease with the dysfunction and and really getting them to step into their experience and what that actually means to them what that actually translates to what it feels like and how does working with this thing change how they uh, their experience in their body and and gosh even more importantly how they connect with their families how they appreciate their lives their ability to really um, appreciate the richness and fullness of their lives I think is is it's a harder thing to, to quantify, but really probably one of the most important things. Yeah. You know, holding the space that you do as such a deep healer um, and, and really, you know, having that, that beautiful balance of keeping yourself um, aware of emerging research and engaging in some of it yourself, but also holding such a deeply compassionate stance for your students, for clearly for your patients as you're describing this. And one of the things that, you know, that that we talk about and we serve a lot of people that are in healthcare um, or in helping professions, as we describe it here through the Center for Compassion Studies, 
um, and there's this tendency, right, for people to uh, give and and give, and they find that it's not sustainable over time. And how how are you um, in your practices, right? This practice of cultivating, maintaining self-compassion and really maintaining that, um, that balance and that strength. Um, what sustains you and being able to continue to do this and to continue to grow and share everything that you're yeah, doing? I mean, it's a good question. I, I, you know, there's like everyone, there's a million things going on at any one point in our lives. And, um, you know, I think that self-care is such a big part of it. It's obviously my own, just my yoga and, and especially in particular, I think my, my meditation practice, um, is a really big part of my self-care. Um, I was I was actually diagnosed when I was really young as a teenager with ADD, which um, I don't I don't really do anything for now. But they tried to put me on on medications, and um, for me, who knows where I would be if I didn't have my meditation and my yoga practice. It's definitely helped me really be able to focus and 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 be present in what I do. And and I think you know as a self-care modality, I. It's everything for me. Um, you know, I think it's really important to be passionate about what you do. I, I, you know, struggled for a long time of trying to find this balance and, and actually realized I, I actually really enjoy being busy. I, I'll plan downtime for myself. And, you know, I love going on vacation, but I, I find myself kind of planning new things because I actually really enjoy what I love. And so I've, I've kind of learned how to make peace with that over the years of like, okay, obviously there's a balance. There's a point where I can do too much and burn myself out. Um, but there is a really big difference. I mean, this is that kind of that, that mind capacity of like when I really enjoy something, its effects on me, you know, and, and, and working a lot when you really enjoy something versus when you really hate it or, or you know, we all have to do monotonous tasks and things we don't enjoy and, and, or as much um, and, and, and get through that. It's not this facade that, you know, you're going to find this perfect job and you're going to love everything. I think that's kind of an interesting illusion out in the world right now that you know you're going to kind of find this perfect job and it's going to be amazing and you're going to make lots of money and you're just going to love life and everyone's going to love you and it's just going to be perfect and I, I don't you know I think everything requires work you know I've worked really hard to create this business and um, you know I love it if we can if you can find something that you're really passionate about and meet you know the needs of your community I think it, it can come together in a way that really kind of feeds everyone. Um, the trick is kind of finding both, is being able to find a niche that, that, of something that's really needed in the world. Like if, if I can take my strengths and, and you know, the, the needs of the people around me and, and bring them together, it allows us all to kind of be somewhat fulfilled in the process. And, you know, I, said, I think that's part of the self-care. You know, obviously to some people that means I have a lot of teachers who, who – you know, have a nine to five job and teach for that sense of fulfillment to really kind of bring some depth to their lives to feel like they're really helping people. And, you know, there's so many jobs in this world that, you know, everyone, someone's got to fulfill, you know, and, and you know, we all have to do our part to work together to, to make this world beautiful, to make it what it is. And, and, you know, that involves all of us doing some things we don't enjoy, but if you can find that passion and, um, your strengths and, and your passion and, and fuse it in a way that really meets the needs of the world right now. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And then finding ways to take care of yourself, you know, the, the mindfulness for me of the, the meditation and the yoga, you know, provides a, a platform for me to realize, Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going a little, a little too far, but now I need to make sure I take some time and step back and, you know, the, the self care of whether that's nutritionally or, or taking some time, to, to myself or um, going on a vacation or <laughs> whatever that might be, you know, there's a lot of ways sometimes our bodies just need to not work for a little bit, you know, it could be still. And sometimes we need better food and sometimes we need better sleep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the, having an ongoing practice of, of either yoga or meditation, even if it's just, even if it's just 10 minutes a day, you know, for people is such a, a big thing. I, I, I think people put too much pressure on themselves to try and establish a practice that's, you know, an hour and a half, or they, they have to go to these yoga practices, which which is why I, I, I really love yoga. But we were talking about that earlier. It's like people don't have to – the unfortunate thing to going to yoga class, which I think is invaluable and irreplaceable to get that, that sense of being in a community. 
um, is is that you know most yoga classes are an hour, hour and a half, and then you drive there, you drive back, you've got a couple hours, and that's a, that's a big chunk of time out of your day. I I can I can be compassionate. <laughs> I can empathize with that. Um, and so you know, not feeling like you have to have these long practices, having ten minutes a day of, of sitting and meditating, but finding something you can commit to to reestablish that baseline so that you keep checking in and. And ideally, one of the things I love about meditation is that it, it is this process of introspection that that hopefully at some point, you know, you notice during your day your ability just to stop for a moment and just notice your breath, just notice how you're feeling. You know, we, you, know, you think about the last couple of days of your life. Have you stopped in the last couple of days of your life once to just consider what am I feeling in my body right now? What does it feel like to breathe in this moment? Like, what are the sensations? What is what is going on? And and then you know the beauty of meditation is there's no there's no judgment. I'm not trying to stop those things. I'm not trying to breathe perfectly or deeply, but I'm just trying to connect to like put my finger on the pulse of what it means to be me in this moment, what it means to be alive, and how do I enhance that? How do I turn that kind of volume level up or down? My ability to magnify that that sense of life and that ability to the capacity to thrive. In any moment, sometimes maybe that's through nutrition or yoga practices, but maybe it's just through my mindset, my perspective, or my ability to connect to this awareness in the body. And I think those little things are such an important part of self-care. Um, and those are the things that are so easy to overlook. And, and I do it too. I mean, we're all guilty. It's human nature. You know, we get so caught up in what we're doing. And, and the reality is we measure our success by our to-do lists and the things that we can really, like, put a number on that we can quantify. We do this in research, you know, being able to have objective results, objective versus subjective is, you know, obviously if I put a number on it and measure with a machine, that's going to be more valuable to a healthcare provider to be able to see rather than someone just saying they felt better. Um, but the reality is that those are, those are the life-changing changes. You know, if you can improve someone's quality of life and the tests still have the same numbers, who cares? Like, I mean, obviously there's, there's things, there's markers we need to look for, you know, that are, that are significant, not to rule that out completely, but, um, you know, I think our experience of life is such a big part of our health and wellness and, you know, those little moments that we take, those, you know, two seconds that we take to be able to check in and, you know, notice our breathing or, or, or take three minutes to stop and just take a few deep breaths to slow down and, and, and notice is such a big part, I think, of our self-care that's easier to overlook because it's not an hour-long yoga practice or, you know, it's not going to the gym or, or you know, we can really be tangible about what we eat. And, um, and all those are really important. But, you know, I think it's the little things that we do that are so crucial for self-care. Yeah, these are such beautiful reminders of the simplicity of how we can cultivate these patterns of caring for ourselves, of extending compassion yeah, I think toward ourselves. Well too, because they are patterns, you know, so the pattern starts with three minutes of yoga a day or three minutes of meditation a day, or you, maybe that's 10 minutes of yoga. You know, it's hard to do yoga in three minutes, but you know, <laughs> three minutes of meditation, <laughs> 10 minutes of yoga, you know, it starts somewhere. And then, if and when, I always encourage people, like, don't increase that until you really want more. Like, don't force yourself because the reality is when we see this in healthcare, like, the impactful things that we do are the things we do long term. It's not the week-long diet we do or cleanse we do, though those are helpful. The things that are really impactful on our health long term are the things that we can stick with. So if I can just stick with 10 minutes a day of something, that's going to be hugely impactful to my health long term then, you know, doing two hours of yoga for a few months and, and then just being like, oh, I can't stick to this anymore. It's just so hard to fit in my schedule. Um, so, you know, I, I really encourage people just to start with something that seems really easy for them. And that's all your interpretation. So maybe three minutes of meditation seems really easy for you. And, and then only when you really want more to increase it and, and, you know, just by a little bit, you know, so that's five minutes then. So that there's a sense of, 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 of not only being able to commit to it, but it also being something that's kind of welcoming in my life that I can start to see and feel the effects of at some point and, and then really want to go back. I, I always think it's interesting working with people is it's, 
many people I work with don't realize how how bad they feel. You know, for a lot of people, it's it's giving them that experience of what it feels like to start to feel good again. And once they start to feel that, it that becomes their drug. That becomes like. I want that thing, you know, and that's that's the lifestyle I think behind the yoga and the meditation is you start to get a glimpse of what that feels like and it's hard to go back. <laughs> that is true. That is so true. I actually just um before we came to talk together this morning, I was reading uh journals that my students turn in a couple times during the semester. At the beginning, I ask them to select a contemplative practice to work with. And it can be anything from yoga, meditation, uh, breath work, labyrinth walking, you get the idea. And a lot of them, because um, <laughs> interestingly enough, Tucson in particular has really um, become quite a really rich um, community of healers. We, for a long time, had not one but two schools of acupuncture here that finally merged um, together to one and lots and lots of, of yoga in town. And it's really amazing how in the beginning, um, the journals are, you know, there's some skepticism, which is natural around I'm starting out with the contemplative practice and I'm taking 21 credits and I'm working a job and I have a million things going on. And now we're at that part in the semester where the journals are coming in and they're writing things like, I'm connecting the dots now, <laughs> you know, about, and this is, this is changing me and I'm feeling like I'm able to handle stressful situations so much better. And um, yeah, it's really beautiful. It's my my way of kind of um, coming in and um, sort of pretend, <laughs> pretend forcing you know, you, you know, people to come to There's so much great research and talk about the benefits of yoga and meditation now, which is great because it's getting people to actually try it. But the reality is you don't really get it until you experience it. You know, once you have that tangible experience, you know, mm -hmm. it does change your perspective a bit. I, and... and it's cool to watch that, you know, I think, you know, I like to kind of just give the practices without setting any expectations or any, um, you know, like, uh, any desire for, for things to necessarily be a certain way, but to kind of just watch how they evolve, which is, is I think, really the fun part of it. <laughs> it is, it is fun. And I have to tell you again that I'm I'm really grateful to you for um, for you being such a big part of my own practices. Um, I I get a ton out of um, out of being able to to take your classes on Yoga Glow, and I found exactly what you said. Just the that balance of you know sometimes it'll be one of your um, ten or twenty minute morning practices that I'll do and. And I did your um, your program that you did this summer, the one on strength and stamina. I actually went through that, um, like did it kind of like on a loop for 45 days. And it changed my life. It was awesome. So <laughs> I, I really, I really appreciate you. And I appreciate so much that I know how busy you are, how in demand you are. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we were able to talk and share your wisdom so and your inspiration with everyone. There's so many good memories. I loved living in Tucson and I remember riding my bike back and forth to school. I didn't have a car then and the heat and the, the desert and gosh, it sounds awful right now actually. But it was such a wonderful, there's so many good memories for me there. And um, it's really it's really cool for me to be able to connect with people who are there, you know, struggling with the same things that I struggled with, you know, as a, as a college student, you know, we're all still trying to find our way and, you know, there's so many struggles and ups and downs and, um, and, and so much potential ahead. It's so cool to think about where all those students will be and all the change that they'll be making in the world. And gosh, if I can, if I can be helpful to anyone that I, I that makes me very happy. Yeah. 
Okay, I'm sure, I'm sure you <laughs> will continue to be. Thanks for listening. We are so grateful to Tiffany for taking the time to talk with us and to share what she's working on with yoga medicine and this really innovative way to help bring support to healthcare and build a bridge between physicians and yoga teachers and yoga therapists weaving her training, her deep training in yoga, anatomy, and traditional Chinese medicine. She's inspiring. She's one of many wildcats that we are so proud of here at the U of A. It's so awesome for us to be able to highlight voices of compassion who have chosen this university as a place to pursue their their higher education. I encourage you to learn more about Tiffany Cruikshank and her awesome work. You can check out her website, yogamedicine.com. And like I do, uh, you can practice with her online through yogaglow.com. And to learn more about what we're up to at the Center for Compassion Studies, visit our website, compassioncenter.arizona.edu. This has been another episode of the University of Arizona Center for Compassion Studies, Conversations on Compassion. This has been produced by Gary Forger. Our sound engineer is Gary Darnell. Music produced by Gary Darnell and the incredible team at the University of Arizona Office of Instruction and Assessment. This is Leslie Langbert with the Center for Compassion Studies. Thanks for listening.